Disc 2 He was worried. After all, if Mrs. Stick was going to make meals as difficult as this, life was not going to be very pleasant at Kirin Cottage. Anyone feel inclined to have dry bread and jam for lunch? inquired Julian when he returned to the others. No? I rather thought so, so I turned down Mrs. Stick's kind offer. I vote we go and buy something decent. That shop in the village has good sausage rolls. George was very silent all that day. She was worrying about her mother, the others knew. She was probably thinking about her plan, too, they thought, and wondered whatever it could be. Shall we go over to Kirin Island today? asked Julian, thinking that it would take George's mind off her worries if they went to her beloved island. George shook her head. No, she said, I don't feel like it. The boat's all ready, I know, but I just don't feel like it. You see, till I know Mother is going to get better, I don't feel I want to be out of reach of the house. If a telephone message came from Father, the sticks could always send Edgar to look for me, and if I was on the island, he couldn't find me. The children messed about that day, doing nothing at all. They went back to tea, and Mrs. Stick provided them with bread and butter and jam but no cake. The milk was sour too, and everyone had to have tea without milk, which they all disliked. As they ate their tea, the children heard Edgar outside the window. He held a tin bowl in his hand and put it down on the grass outside. Your dog's dinner, he yelled. He looks like a dog's dinner himself, said Dick in disgust. Messy creature. That made everyone laugh. Edgar, the dog's dinner, said Anne. Any biscuits in that tin on the sideboard, do you think, George? George got up to see. Timothy slipped out of doors and went to the dish put down for him. He sniffed at it. George, coming back from the sideboard, looked out of the window as she passed and saw him. At once, the thought of poison came back to her mind, and she yelled to Timothy making the others jump out of their skins. Tim! Tim! Don't touch it! Timothy wagged his tail, as if to say he didn't mean to touch it anyway. George rushed out of doors and picked up the mess of raw meat. She sniffed at it. You haven't touched it, have you, Timothy? She said anxiously. Dick leaned out of the window. No, he didn't eat any. I watched him. He sniffed all round and about it, but he wouldn't touch it. I bet it's been dosed with rat poison or something. George was very white. Oh, Timmy, she said. You're such a sensible dog. You wouldn't touch poison stuff, would you? Ruff, said Timmy decidedly. Stinker heard the bark and put his nose out of the kitchen door. George called to him in a loud voice. Stinker, Stinker, come here. Timmy doesn't want his dinner. You can have it. Come along, Stinker. Here it is. Edgar came rushing out behind Stinker. Don't you give that to him, he said. Why not? asked George. Go on, Edgar. Tell me why not. He don't eat raw meat, said Edgar after a pause. He only eats dog biscuits. That's a lie, said George, flaming up. 
I saw him eating meat yesterday. Here, Stinker, you come and eat this. Edgar snatched the bowl from George, almost snarling at her, and ran indoors at top speed. George was about to go after him, but Julian, who had jumped out of the window when Edgar came up, stopped her. No good old thing, he said. You won't get anything out of him. The meat's probably at the back of the kitchen fire by now. From now on, we feed Timothy ourselves, with meat bought from the butcher with our own money. Don't be afraid that he'll eat poison stuff. He's too wise a dog for that. He might, if he was terribly, awfully hungry, Julian, said George, looking rather green now. She felt sick inside. I wasn't going to let Stinker eat that poison stuff, of course, but I guessed that if it was poisoned, one of the sticks would come rushing out and stop Stinker eating it. And Edgar did. So it proves it was poison, doesn't it? I rather think it does, said Julian. But don't worry, George. Timmy won't be poisoned. But he might, he might, said George, putting her hand on the big dog's head. Oh... I can't bear the thought of it, Julian. I can't. I really can't. Don't think about it then, said Julian, taking her indoors again. Here, have a biscuit. You don't think the sticks would poison us, do you? said Anne, looking suddenly scared and gazing at her biscuit as if it might bite her. No, idiot. They only want to get Timmy out of the way because he guards us so well, said Julian. Don't look so scared. All this will settle down in a day or two, and we'll have a grand time after all. You'll see. But Julian only said this to comfort his little sister. Secretly, he was very worried. He wished he could take Anne, Dick and George back to his own home. But he knew George wouldn't come. And how could they leave her to the sticks? It was quite impossible. Friends must stick together and somehow they must face things until Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin came back. Chapter 7. Better News Do you think we'd better slip down after the sticks have gone to bed and get some food out of the larder again, said Dick, when no supper appeared that evening. Julian didn't feel inclined to sneak down and confront Mr. Stick again. Not that he was afraid of him, but the whole thing was so unpleasant. This was their house. The food was theirs. So why should they have to beg for it or take it on the sly? It was ridiculous. Come here, Timothy, said Julian. The dog left George's side and went to Julian, looking up at the boy inquiringly. You're going to come with me and persuade dear, kind Mrs. Stick to give us the best things out of the larder, said Julian with a grin. The others laughed, cheering up at once. Good idea, said Dick. Can we all come and see the fun? Better not, said Julian. I can manage fine by myself. He went down the passage to the kitchen. The radio was going inside so no one in the kitchen heard Julian till he was actually standing inside the door. Then Edgar looked up and saw Timothy as well as Julian. Edgar was scared of the big dog, 
who was now growling fiercely. He went behind the kitchen sofa and stayed there, eyeing Timmy fearfully. What do you want? said Mrs. Stick, turning off the radio. Supper, said Julian pleasantly. Supper. The best things out of the larder, bought with my uncle's money, cooked on my aunt's stove, with gas she pays for. Yes, supper. Open the larder door and let's see what there is in there. Well, of all the nerve, began Mr. Stick in amazement. You can have a loaf of bread and some cheese, said Mrs. Stick, and that's my last word. Well, it isn't my last word, said Julian, and he went to the larder door. Timmy, keep to heel. Growl all you like, but don't bite anybody. Yet. Timmy's growls were really frightful. Even Mr. Stick put himself at the other end of the room. As for Stinker, he was nowhere to be seen. He had gone into the scullery at the very first growl and was now shivering behind the ringer. Mrs. Stick's mouth went into a hard, straight line. You take the bread and cheese and clear out, she said. Julian opened the larder door, whistling softly, which annoyed Mrs. Stick more than anything else. My word, said Julian admiringly. You do know how to stock a larder, I must say, Mrs. Stick. A roast chicken. I thought I smelt one cooking. I suppose Mr. Stick killed one of our chickens today. I thought I heard a lot of squawking. And what fine tomatoes. Best to be got from the village, I've no doubt. And, oh, Mrs. Stick, what a perfectly marvellous treacle tart. I must say you're a good cook. I really must. Julian picked up the chicken, the dish of tomatoes, and then balanced the plate with the treacle tart on the top. Mrs. Stick yelled at him. You leave them things alone. That's our supper. You leave them there. You've made a little mistake, said Julian politely. It's our supper. We've had very little to eat today and we could do with a good supper. Thanks awfully. Now look here, began Mr. Stick angrily, furious at seeing his lovely supper walking away. You surely don't want me to look at you again? said Julian in a tone of amazement. What for? Have you shaved yet or washed? I'm afraid not. So, if you don't mind, I think I'd rather not look at you. Mr Stick was speechless. He was not ready with his tongue at any time and a boy like Julian took his breath away and left him with nothing to say except his favourite Now look here! Put them things down! said Mrs Stick sharply. What do you think we're going to have for our supper if you walk off with them? You tell me that. Easy, said Julian. Let me offer you our supper. Bread and cheese, Mrs Stick. Bread and cheese. Mrs Stick made an angry noise and started to go after Julian with her hand raised. But Timothy immediately leapt at her and his teeth snapped together with a loud click. Ow! howled Mrs Stick. That dog of yours nearly took my hand off. The brute. I'll do for him one day. You see if I don't. You had a good try today, didn't you? said Julian in a quiet voice, fixing his eyes straight on the woman's face. That's a matter for the police, isn't it? 
Be careful, Mrs. Stick. I've a good mind to go to the police tomorrow. Just as before, the mention of the police seemed to frighten Mrs. Stick. She cast a look at her husband and took a step backward. Julian wondered if the man had done something wrong and was hiding from the police. He never seemed to put a foot out of doors. The boy went up the passage triumphantly. Timmy followed at his heels, disappointed that he hadn't been able to get a nibble at Stinker. Julian marched into the sitting room and set the dishes carefully down on the table. What ho, he said, look what I've got, the stick's own supper. Then he told the others all that had happened, and they laughed loudly. How do you think of all those things to say? said Anne admiringly. I don't wonder you make them feel wild, Jew. It's a good thing we've got Timmy to back us up. Yes, I shouldn't feel nearly so bold without Timmy, said Julian. It was a very good supper. There were knives and forks in the sideboard, and the children made do with fruit plates from the sideboard too, rather than go and get plates from the kitchen. There was bread over from their tea, so they were able to make a very good meal. They enjoyed it thoroughly. Sorry we can't give you the chicken bones, Tim, said George, but they might split inside you and injure you. You can have all the scraps. See so you don't leave any for stinker. Timmy didn't. With two or three great gulps, he cleared his plate and then sat waiting for any scraps of treacle tart that might descend his way. The children felt cheerful after such a good meal. They had completely eaten the chicken. Nothing was left except a pile of bones. They had eaten all the tomatoes, too, finished the bread, and enjoyed every scrap of the treacle tart. It was late. Anne yawned, and then George yawned, too. Let's go to bed, she said. I don't feel like having a game of cards or anything. So they went to bed, and as usual, Timothy lay heavily on George's feet. He lay there awake for some time, his ears cocked to hear noises from below. He heard the sticks go up to bed. He heard doors closing. He heard a whine from Stinker. Then all was silence. Timmy dropped his head onto his paws and slept, but he kept one ear cocked for danger. Timothy didn't trust the sticks any more than the children did. The children awoke very early in the morning. Julian awoke first. It was a marvellous day. Julian went to the window and looked out. The sky was a very pale blue, and rosy pink clouds floated about it. The sea was a clear blue too, smooth and calm. Julian remembered what Anne often said. She said that the world in the early morning always looked as if it had come back fresh from the laundry, so clean and new and fresh. The children all bathed before breakfast, and this time they were back at half-past eight, afraid that George's father might telephone early again. Julian saw Mrs Stick on the stairs and called to her. Has my uncle telephoned yet? No, said the woman in a surly tone. She had been hoping that the telephone would ring while the children were out. Then, as she had done the day before, she could answer it 
and get a few words in first. We'll have breakfast now, please, said Julian. A good breakfast, Mrs Stick. My uncle might ask us what we've had for breakfast, mightn't he? You never know. Mrs Stick evidently thought that Julian might tell his uncle if she gave them only bread and butter for breakfast. So very soon the children smelt a delicious smell of bacon frying. Mrs Stick brought in a dish of it garnished with tomatoes. She banged it down on the table with the plates. Edgar arrived with a pot of tea and a tray of cups and saucers. Ah, here is dear Edgar, said Julian, in a tone of amiable surprise. Dear old spotty face. Gone, said Edgar, and banged down the teapot. Timmy growled, and Edgar fled for his life. George didn't want any breakfast. Julian put hers back in the warm dish and put a plate over it. He knew that she was waiting for news. If only the telephone would ring. Then she would know if her mother was really better or not. It did ring as they were halfway through the meal. George was there before the bell had stopped pealing. She put the receiver to her ear. Father? Yes, it's George. How's mother? There was a pause as George listened. All the children stopped eating and listened in silence, waiting for George to speak. They would know by her next words if the news was good or not. Oh, oh, I'm so glad, they heard George say. Did she have the operation yesterday? Oh, you never told me. But it's all right now, is it? Oh, poor mother. Give her my love. I do want to see her. Oh, father, can't I come? Evidently, the answer was no. George listened for a while, then spoke a few more words and said goodbye. She ran into the sitting room. You heard, didn't you? she said joyfully. Mother's better. She'll get all right now and we'll be back home soon, in about ten days. Father won't come back till he brings her home. It's good news about Mother, but I'm afraid we can't get rid of the sticks. Chapter 8. George's Plan Mrs Stick had overheard the conversation on the telephone. At least, she had heard George's side of it. She knew that George's mother was better and that her father would not return till her mother could be brought home. That would be in about ten days. The Sticks could have a fine time till then, no doubt about that. George suddenly found that her appetite had come back. She ate her bacon hungrily and scraped the dish round with a piece of bread. She had three cups of tea and then sat back contentedly. I feel better, she said. Anne slipped her hand in hers. She was very glad that her aunt was going to be all right. If it wasn't for those awful sticks, they could have a lovely time. Then... George said something that made Julian cross. Well, now that I know Mother is going to be better, I can stand up to the sticks all right by myself with Timmy. So I want you three to go back home and finish the holes without me. I shall be all right. Shut up, George, said Julian. We've argued this all out before. 
I've made up my mind, and I don't change it any more than you do when I've made it up. Oh, you make me cross. Well, said George, I told you I got a plan, and you don't come into it, I'm afraid, and you'll find you'll have to go back home whether you mean to or not. Oh, don't be so mysterious, George, said Julian, impatiently. What is this strange plan? You'd better tell us, even if we're not in it. Can't you trust us? Yes, of course. But you might try to stop me, said George, looking sulky. Then you'd certainly better tell us, said Julian, feeling uneasy. George was such a madcap once she got ideas into her head. Goodness knows what she might do. But George wouldn't say another word. Julian gave it up at last, but secretly made up his mind not to let George out of his sight that day. If she was going to carry out some wild plan, then she would have to do it under his, Julian's, eye. But George didn't seem to be carrying out any wild plan. She bathed again with the others, went out for a walk with them, went for a row on the sea. She didn't want to go to Kirin Island, so the others didn't press her, thinking that she didn't want to be out of sight of the beach in case Edgar came with a message from her father. It was quite a pleasant day. The children bought sausage rolls again and fruit and picnicked on the beach. Timmy had a large and juicy bone from the butchers. I've got a bit of shopping to do, said George, about tea time. You others go and see if Mrs Stick is getting some tea for us, and I'll fly down to the shops and get what I want. Julian pricked up his ears at once. Was George sending them off so that she could be alone to carry out this mysterious plan of hers? I'll come with you, said Julian, getting up. Dick can tackle Mrs Stick for once and take Timmy with him. No, you go, said George. I won't be long. But Julian was determined not to go. In the end, they all went with George, for Dick did not want to face Mrs. Stick without Julian or George. George went into the little general shop and got a new battery for her torch. She bought two boxes of matches and a bottle of methylated spirit. Whatever do you want that for? said Anne in surprise. Oh, it might come in useful, said George, and said no more. They all went back to Kieran Cottage. Tea was actually on the table. True, it was not a thrilling tea, being merely bread and jam and a pot of hot tea. Still, it was there and was eatable. It rained that evening. The children sat round the table and played cards. Their hearts were lighter now that they had had good news of George's mother. In the middle of the game, Julian got up and rang the bell. The others stared at him in the greatest surprise. "'What are you ringing the bell for?' asked George, her eyes wide with astonishment. "'To tell Mrs Stick to bring some supper,' said Julian with a grin. But no one answered the bell. So Julian rang again, and then again. The kitchen door opened at last, and Mrs Stick came up the passage, evidently in a bad temper. She came into the sitting room. You stop ringing that bell, she said angrily. I'm not answering any bells rung by you. I rang it to tell you that we wanted some supper, 
said Julian. And to say that if you would rather I came and got it myself from the larder with Timmy, as I did last night, I'll come with pleasure. If not, you can bring a decent supper to us yourself. If you come stealing things out of my larder again, I'll... I'll... began Mrs Stick. You'll call in the police? Julian finished for her. Do. That would please us very much. I can see our local policeman taking down all the details in his notebook. I could give him quite a few. Mrs Stick muttered something rude under her breath, glared at Julian as if she could kill him, and went off down the passage again. By the sound of the clattering and crashing of crockery in the kitchen, it was plain that Mrs Stick was getting some sort of supper for them, and Julian grinned to himself as he dealt out the cards. Supper was not as good as the night before, but it was not bad. It was a little cold ham, cheese, and the remains of a milk pudding. There was also a plate of cooked meat for Timmy. George looked at it sharply. Take that away, she said. I bet you've poisoned it again. Take it away. No, on the contrary. Leave it here, said Julian. I'll take it down to the local chemist tomorrow and get him to test it. If, as George thinks, it's poisoned, the chemist might have a lot of interesting things to tell us. Mrs. Stick took the meat away without a word. Horrible woman, said George, pulling Timothy close to her. How I hate her! I feel so afraid for Timmy! Somehow, that spoilt the evening. As it grew dark, the children became sleepy. It's ten o'clock, said Julian. Bed, I think, everyone. Anne ought to have gone long ago. She isn't nearly old enough to stay up as late as this. Well, began Anne indignantly, I'm nearly as old as George, aren't I? I can't help being younger, can I? All right, all right, said Julian, laughing. I shan't make you go off to bed by yourself, don't worry. We all keep together in this house while the sticks are about. Come on, we'll go now, shall we? The children were tired. They had swum, walked and rowed that day. Julian tried to keep awake a little while, but he too fell asleep very quickly. He awoke with a jump, thinking that he had heard a noise. But everything was quiet. What could the noise have been? Was it one of the sticks creeping about? No, it couldn't be that, or Tim would have barked the house down. Then what was it? Something must have waked him. I suppose it's not old George doing anything about that plan of hers, thought Julian suddenly. He sat up. He felt about for his dressing gown and put it on. Without waking Dick, he crept to the girls' room and switched on his torch to see that they were all right. Anne was in her bed, sleeping peacefully. But George's bed was empty. George's clothes were gone. Blow, said Julian under his breath. Where has she gone? I bet she's run away to find where her mother is. His torch picked out a white envelope pinned to George's pillow. He stepped softly over to it. It had his name printed on it in bold letters. Julian. Julian ripped it open and read it. Dear Julian, said the note, 
Don't be angry with me, please. I daren't stay in Kirin Cottage any longer in case the sticks somehow poison Timmy. You know that would break my heart. So I've gone to live by myself on our island till Mother and Father come back. Please leave a note for Father and tell him to ask Jim to sail near Kirin Island with his little red flag flying from the mast as soon as they are back. Then I'll come home. You and Dick and Anne must go back to your own parents now I've gone. It would be silly to stay at Kirin Cottage with the sticks now I'm not there. Love from George. Julian read the note through. Well, why didn't I guess that was her plan? He said to himself. That's why we didn't come into it. She meant to go off by herself with Timmy. Oh, I can't let her do that. She can't live all by herself on Kirin Island for so long. She might fall ill. She might slip on a rock and hurt herself, and no one would ever know. The boy was really worried about the determined little girl. He wondered what to do. That noise, he heard, must have been made by George. So she couldn't have got a very long start, really. If he tore down to the beach, George might still be there, and he could stop her. So, in his dressing gown, he ran down the front path, out of the gate, and took the road to the beach. The rain had stopped, and the stars were out, but it was not at all a light night. How can George expect to get through those rocks in the dark? he thought. She's mad! She'll strike her boat on a rock and sink. He tore on in the darkness, talking aloud to himself. No wonder she wanted a new battery for her torch and matches. And I suppose the methylated spirit was for her little cooking stove. Why ever couldn't she tell us? It would have been fun to go with her. He came to the beach. He saw the light of a torch where George kept her boat. He ran to it his feet sinking in the soft, wet sand. George! Idiot! You're not to go off like this all alone in the dead of night, called Julian. George was pushing her boat out into the water. She jumped when she heard Julian's voice. You can't stop me, she said. I'm just off. But Julian caught hold of the boat as he waded up to his waist in the water. George, listen to me. You can't go like this. You'll strike a rock. Come back. No, said George, getting cross. You can go back to your own home, Julian. I shall be all right. Let go my boat. George, why didn't you tell me your plan, said Julian, almost swept off his feet by a wave. Dash these waves. I shall have to get into the boat. He climbed in. He could not see George, but he felt quite certain she was glaring at him. Timmy licked his wet legs. You're spoiling everything, said George, with a break in her voice that meant she was upset. I'm not silly, said Julian in a gentle voice. Listen, you come back to Kirin Cottage with me now, George, and I'll faithfully promise you something. Tomorrow, we'll all go to the island with you. See? The whole lot of us. Why shouldn't we? Your mother said we could spend a week there anyway, didn't she? We shall be out of the reach of those horrible sticks. We shall enjoy ourselves and have a marvellous time. So will you come back now, George, and let us go together tomorrow? 
Chapter 9 An Exciting Night There was a silence, except for the waves splashing round the boat. Then George's voice came out of the darkness, lifted joyfully. Oh, Julian, do you really mean it? Will you really come with me? I was afraid I'd get into trouble for doing this because Father said I must stay at Kieran Cottage till he came back. And you know how he hates disobedience. But I knew if I stayed there, you would too. And I didn't want you to be miserable with those horrid sticks. So I thought I'd come away. I didn't think you'd come too because of getting into trouble. I never even thought of asking you. You're a very stupid person sometimes, aren't you, George? said Julian. As if we'd care about getting into trouble, so long as we were all together, sticking by one another. Of course we'll come with you, and I'll take all the responsibility for this escape, and tell your father it's my fault. Oh, no, you won't, said George quickly. I shall say it was my idea. If I do wrong, I'm not afraid to own up to it. You know that. <laughs> well, we won't argue that now, said Julian. We shall have at least a week or ten days on Kirin Island to do all the arguing we want to. The thing is, let's get back now, wake up the others for a bit, and have a nice quiet talk in the dead of night about this plan of yours. I must say, it's a very, very good idea. George was overjoyed. I feel as if I could hug you, Julian, she said. Where are the oars? Oh, here they are. The boat's floated quite a long way out. She rowed strongly back to the shore. Julian jumped out and pulled the boat up the beach with George's help. He shone his torch into the boat and gave an exclamation. You've quite a nice little store of things here, he said. Bread and ham and butter and stuff. How did you manage to get them without old Mr. Stick seeing you tonight? I suppose you slipped down and got them out of the larder. Yes, I did, said George. But there was no one in the kitchen tonight. Perhaps Mr. Stick has gone to sleep upstairs, or maybe he has gone back to his ship. Anyway, there was no one there when I crept down, not even Stinker. We'd better leave them here, said Julian. Stuff them into that locker and shut down the lid. No one will guess there's anything there. We'll have to bring down a lot more stuff if we're all going to live on the island. Golly, this is going to be fun. The children made their way back to the house, feeling thrilled and excited. Julian's wet dressing gown flapped round his legs, and he pulled it up high to be out of the way. Timothy gambled round, not seeming at all surprised at the night's doings. When they got back to the house, they woke the other two, who listened in astonishment to what had happened that night. Anne was so excited to think that they were all going to live on the island that she raised her voice in joy. Oh, that's the loveliest thing that could happen. Oh, I do think... Shut up, said three furious voices in loud whispers. You'll wake the sticks. Sorry, whispered Anne, but oh, it's so terribly, awfully exciting. They began to discuss their plans. If we go for a week or ten days, we must take plenty of stores, said Julian. The thing is, can we possibly find food enough for so long? Even if we entirely empty the larder, 
I doubt that it would be enough for a week or so. We all seem such hungry people somehow. Julian, said George, suddenly remembering something, I know what we'll do. Mother has a store cupboard in her room. She keeps dozens and dozens of tins of food there in case we ever get snowed up in the winter and can't go to the village. That's happened once or twice, you know. And I know where Mother keeps the key. Can't we open the cupboard and get out some tins? Of course, said Julian, delighted. I know Aunt Fanny wouldn't mind. And anyway, we can make a list of what we take and replace them for her if she does mind. It will be my birthday soon, and I'm sure to get money then. Where's the key? whispered Dick. Let's go into Mother's room, and I'll show you where she keeps it, said George. I only hope she hasn't taken it with her. But George's mother had felt far too ill when she left home to think of cupboard keys. George fumbled at the back of a drawer in the dressing table and brought out two or three keys tied together with thin string. She fitted first one and then another into a cupboard set in the wall. The second one opened the door. Julian shone his torch into the cupboard. It was filled with tins of food of all kinds, neatly arranged on the shelves. Golly, said Dick, his eyes gleaming. Soup, tins of meat, tins of fruit, tinned milk, sardines, tinned butter, biscuits, tinned vegetables. There's everything we want here. Yes, said Julian, pleased. It's fine. We'll take all we can carry. Uh, is there a sack or two anywhere about, George, do you know? Soon, the tins were quietly packed into two sacks. The cupboard door was shut and locked again. The children stole to their own rooms once more. Well, that's the biggest problem solved, food, said Julian. We'll raid the larder, too, and take what bread there is and cake. What about water, George? Is there any on the island? Well, I suppose there is some in that old well, said George, thinking. But as there's no bucket or anything, we can't get any. I was taking a big container of fresh water with me, but we'd better fill two or three more now you're all coming. I know where there are some, quite clean and new. So they filled some containers with fresh water and put them with the sacks ready to take to the boat. It was so exciting doing all these things in the middle of the night. Anne could hardly keep her voice down to a whisper, and it was a wonder that Timothy didn't bark, for he sensed the excitement of the others. There was a tin of cakes in the larder, freshly made, so those were added to the heap that was forming in the front garden. There was a large joint of meat, too, and George wrapped it in a cloth and put that with the heap, telling Timmy in a fierce voice that if he so much as sniffed at it, she would leave him behind. I've got my little stove for boiling water on or heating up anything, whispered George. It's in the boat. That's what I bought the methylated spirit for, of course. You didn't guess, did you? And the matches for lighting it. I say, what about candles? We can't use our torches all the time. The batteries would soon run out. They found a pound of candles in the kitchen cupboard a kettle, a saucepan, some old knives and forks and spoons, and a good many other things they thought they might possibly want.
They also came across some small bottles of ginger beer, evidently stored for their own use by the sticks. All bought out of my mother's money, said George. Well, we'll take the ginger beer too. It will be nice to drink it on a hot day. Where are we going to sleep at night, said Julian. In that ruined part of the old castle, where there is just one room with a roof left and walls. That's where I planned to sleep, said George. I was going to make my bed of some of the heather that grows on the island, covered by a rug or two, which I've got down in the boat. We'll take all the rugs we can find, said Julian, and some cushions for pillows. I say, isn't this simply thrilling? I don't know when I've felt so excited. I feel like a prisoner escaping to freedom. Won't the sticks be amazed when they find us gone? Yes, we'll have to decide what to say to them, said George rather soberly. We don't want them sending people after us to the island, making us come back. I don't think they should know we've gone there. We'll discuss that later, said Dick. The thing is to get everything to the boat while it's dark. It will soon be dawn. How are we going to get all this down to George's boat, said Anne, looking at the enormous pile of goods by the light of her torch. We'll never be able to carry them all. Certainly, it looked a great pile. Julian had an idea as usual. Are there any barrows in the shed? he asked George. If we could pile the things into a couple of barrows, we could easily take everything in one journey. We could wheel the barrows along on the sandy side of the road so that we don't make any noise. Oh, good idea, said George, delighted. I wish I'd thought of that before. I had to make about five journeys to and from the boat when I took my own things. There are two barrows in the shed. We'll get them. One has a squeaky wheel, but we'll hope no one hears it. Stinker heard the squeak as he lay in a corner of Mrs. Stick's room. He pricked up his ears and growled softly. He did not dare to bark, for he was afraid of bringing Timothy up. Mrs. Stick did not hear the growl. She slept soundly, not even stirring. She had no idea what was going on downstairs. The things were all stowed into the boat. The children didn't like leaving them there unguarded. In the end, they decided to leave Dick there, sleeping on the rugs. They stood thinking for a moment before they went back without Dick. I do hope we've remembered all we shall want, said George, wrinkling up her forehead. Golly, I know. We haven't remembered a tin opener, nor a thing to take off the tops of the ginger beer bottles. They've got those little tin lids that have to be forced off by an opener. We'll put those in our pockets when we get back to the house and find them, said Julian. I remember seeing some in the sideboard drawer. Goodbye, Dick. We'll be down very early to row off. We must get some bread at the baker's as soon as he opens, because we've hardly got any, and we'll see if we can pick up a very large bone at the butcher's for Timmy. George has got a bag of biscuits in the boat for him too. The three of them set off back to the house with Timmy, leaving Dick curled up comfortably on the rugs. He soon fell asleep again, his face upturned to the stars that would soon fade from the sky. The others talked about what to tell the sticks. I think we won't tell them anything, said Julian at last. I don't particularly want to tell them deliberate lies. 
and I'm certainly not going to tell them the truth. I know what we'll do. There is a train that leaves the station about eight o'clock, which would be the one we'd catch if we were going back to our own home. We'll find a timetable, leave it open on the dining room table, as if we'd been looking up a train, and then we'll all set off across the moor at the back of the house, as if we were going to the station. Oh, yes! Then the sticks will think we've run away and gone to catch the train back home, said Anne. They will never guess we've gone to the island. That's a good idea, said George, pleased. But how shall we know when father and mother get back? Is there anyone you could leave a message with? Somebody you could really trust, asked Julian. George thought hard. There's Alf, the fisher boy, she said at last. He used to look after Tim for me when I wasn't allowed to have him in the house. I know he'd not give us away. We'll call on Alf before we go then, said Julian. Now, let's look for that timetable and lay it open on the table at the right place. They hunted for the timetable, found the right page and underlined the train. They hoped that the sticks would think they were catching. They found the tin and bottle openers and put them into their pockets. Julian found two or three more boxes of matches, too. He thought two would not last long enough. By this time, dawn had come, and the house was being flooded with early sunshine. I wonder if the baker is open, said Julian. We might as well go and see. It's about six o'clock. They went to the baker. He was not open, but the new loaves had already been made. The baker was outside sunning himself. He had baked his bread at night, ready to sell it new-made in the morning. He grinned up at the children. Up early today, he said. What, you want some of my loaves? How many? Six? Good gracious, whatever for? To eat, said George, grinning. Julian paid for six enormous loaves, and they went to the butcher's. His shop was not open either, but the butcher himself was sweeping the path outside. Could we buy a very big bone for Timmy, please? asked George. She got an enormous one, and Timmy looked at it longingly. Such a bone would last him for days, he knew. Now, said Julian as they set off to the boat, we'll pack these things into the boat, then go back to the house and make a noise so that the sticks know we're there. Then we'll set off across the moors and hope the sticks will think we're making for the train. They woke Dick, who was still sleeping peacefully in the boat, and packed in the bread and bone. Take the boat into the next cove, said George. Can you do that? We shall be hidden there from anyone on the beach then. The fishermen are all out in their boats fishing. We shan't be seen if we set off in about an hour's time. We'll be back by then. They went back to the house and made a noise as if they were just getting up. George whistled to Timmy, and Julian sang at the top of his voice. Then, with a great banging of doors, they set out down the path and cut across the moors in full sight of the kitchen window. Hope the sticks won't notice Dick isn't with us, said Julian, seeing Edgar staring out of the window. I expect they'll think he's gone ahead. They kept to the path until they came to a dip where they were hidden from any watcher at Kieran Cottage. Then 
they took another path that led them unseen to the cove where Dick had taken the boat. He was there, waiting anxiously for them. Ahoy there! yelled Julian in excitement. The adventure is about to begin! Chapter 10 Kirin Island Once More They all clambered into the boat. Timothy leapt in lightly and ran to the prow where he always stood. His tongue hung out in excitement. He knew quite well that something was up, and he was in it. No wonder he panted and wagged his tail hard. Off we go, said Julian, taking the oars. Sit over there a bit, Anne. The luggage is weighing down the boat awfully at the other end. Uh, Dick, sit by Anne to keep the balance better. That's right. Off we go. And off they went in George's boat, rocking up and down on the waves. The sea was fairly calm, but a good breeze blew through their hair. The water splashed round the boat and made a nice, gurgly, friendly noise. The children all felt very happy. They were on their own. They were escaping from the horrid sticks. They were going to stay on Kirin Island with the rabbits and gulls and jackdaws. Doesn't that new-made bread smell awfully good, said Dick, feeling very hungry as usual. Can we just grab a bit, do you think? Yes, let's, said George. So they broke off bits of the warm brown crust, handed some to Julian, who was rowing, and chewed the delicious new-made bread. Timmy got a bit too, but his was gone as soon as it went into his mouth. Timmy's funny, said Anne. He never eats his food as we do. He seems to drink it, just takes it into his mouth and swallows it as if it was water. The others laughed. He doesn't drink his bones, said George. He always eats those all right, chews on them for hours and hours. Don't you, Timothy? Ruff, said Timmy, agreeing. He eyed the place where that enormous bone was, wishing he could have it now. But the children wouldn't let him. They were afraid it might go overboard, and that would be a pity. I don't believe anyone has noticed us going, said Julian, except Alf the fisherboy, of course. We told him about going to the island, Dick, but nobody else. They had called at Alf's house on their way to the cove. Alf was alone in the yard at the back. His mother was away and his father was out fishing. They had told him their secret, and Alf had nodded his tousled head and promised faithfully to tell nobody at all. He was evidently very proud at being trusted. If my mother and father come back... You must let us know, said George. Sail as near the island as you dare and hail us. You can get nearer to it than anyone else. I'll do that, promised Alf, wishing he could go with them. So you see, Dick, said Julian as he rowed out to the island. If, by any chance, Aunt Fanny does return sooner than we expect, we shall know at once and come back. I think we've planned everything very well. Yes, we have, said Dick. He turned and faced the island, which was coming nearer. We shall soon be there. Isn't George going to take the oars and guide the boat in? Yes, said George. We've come to the difficult bit now, where we've got to weave our way in and out of the difficult rocks that keep sticking up. 
Give me the oars, Jew. She took the oars, and the others watched in admiration as the girl guided the big boat skillfully in and out of the hidden rocks. She certainly was very clever. They felt perfectly safe with her. The boat slid into the little cove. It was a natural harbour, with the water running up to a stretch of sand. High rocks sheltered it. The children jumped out eagerly, and four pairs of willing hands tugged the boat quickly up the sand. Higher up still, panted George. You know what awful storms suddenly blow up in this bay? We want to be sure the boat is quite safe, no matter how high the seas run. The boat soon lay on one side, high up the stretch of sand. The children sat down, puffing and blowing. Whew. Let's have breakfast here, said Julian. I don't feel like unloading all those heavy things at the moment. We'll get what we want for breakfast and have it here on this warm bit of sand. They got a loaf of new bread, some cold ham, a few tomatoes, and a pot of jam. Anne found knives and forks and plates. Julian opened two bottles of ginger beer. Funny sort of breakfast, he said, setting the bottles down on the sand, but simply gorgeous when anyone is as hungry as we are. They ate everything except about a third of the loaf. Timmy was given his bone and some of his own biscuits. He crunched up the biscuits at once and then sat down contentedly to gnaw the fine bone. How nice to be Timmy, with no plate or knife or fork or cup to bother about, said Anne, lying on her back in the sun, feeling that she really couldn't eat anything more. Oh, if we are always going to have mixed-up meals like this on the island... I shall never want to go back. Who would have thought that ham and jam and ginger beer would go so well together? Timmy was thirsty. He sat with his tongue hanging out, wishing that George would give him a drink. He didn't like ginger beer. George eyed him lazily. Oh, Timmy, are you thirsty? she said. Oh, dear. I feel as if I really can't get up. You'll have to wait a few minutes. Then I'll go to the boat and empty out some water for you. But Timothy couldn't wait. He went off to some nearby rocks, which were out of reach of the sea. In a hole in one of them, he found some rainwater, and he lapped it up eagerly. The children heard him lapping it and laughed. <laughs> Isn't Timmy clever? murmured Anne. I should never have thought of that. The children had been up half the night, and now they were full of good things and were very sleepy. One by one, they fell asleep on the warm sand. Timothy eyed them in astonishment. It wasn't night time, yet here were all the children sleeping tightly. Well, well, a dog could always go to sleep too at any time. So Timothy threw himself down beside George, put his head right on her middle and closed his eyes. The sun was high when the little company awoke. Julian awoke first, then Dick, feeling very hot indeed, for the sun was blazing down. They sat up, yawning. Goodness, said Dick, looking at his arms. The sun has caught me properly. I shall be terribly sore by tonight. Did we bring any cream, Julian? No, we never thought of it, said Julian. Oh, cheer up. 
You'll be burnt much more by the time this day ends. The sun's going to be hot. There's not a cloud in the sky. They woke up the girls. George pushed Timmy's head off her tummy. Oh, you give me nightmares when you put your heavy head there, she complained. Oh, I say, we're on the island, aren't we? For a moment, I thought I was back in bed at Kiering Cottage. Isn't it gorgeous? Here we are for ages, all by ourselves, with tons of nice things to eat, able to do just what we like, said Anne contentedly. I guess the old sticks are glad we've gone, said Dick. Spotty Face will be able to loll in the sitting room and read all our books if he wants to. And Stinker Dog will be able to wander all over the house and lie on anybody's bed without being afraid that Timothy will eat him whole, said George. Well, let him. I don't care about anything now that I've escaped. It was fun to lie there and talk about everything. But soon, Julian, who could never rest for long once he was awake, got up and stretched himself. Come on, he said to the others. There is work to do, lazy bones. Come along. Work to do? What do you mean? said George in astonishment. Well, we've got to unload the boat and pack everything somewhere where it won't get spoilt if the rain happens to come, said Julian. And we've got to decide exactly where we're going to sleep and get the heather for our beds and pile the rugs on them. There's plenty to do. Oh, don't let's do it yet said Anne, not at all wanting to get up out of the warm sand. But the others pulled her up, and together they all set to work to unload the boat. Let's go and have a look at the castle, said Julian, and find the little room where we'll sleep. It's the only one left whole, so it'll have to be that one. They went right to the top of the little inlet, climbed up onto the rocks, and made their way towards the old ruined castle whose walls rose up from the middle of the little island. They stopped to gaze at it. It's a fine old ruin, said Dick. Aren't we lucky to have an island and a castle of our own? Fancy, this is all ours. They gazed through a big broken-down archway to old steps beyond. The castle had once had two fine towers, but now one was almost gone. The other rose high in the air, half ruined. The black jackdaws collected there, talking loudly. Jack, 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 jack. Nice birds, said Dick. I like them. See the grey patch at the back of their heads, Anne? I wonder if they ever stop talking. <laughs> I don't think so, said George. Oh, look at the rabbits, tamer than ever. The courtyard was full of big rabbits who eyed them as they came near. It really seemed as if it would be possible to pat them, they were so tame. But one by one, they edged away as the children approached. Timothy was in a great state of excitement, and his tail quivered from end to end. <gasps> Those rabbits! Why couldn't he chase them? Why was George so difficult about rabbits? Why couldn't he make them run a bit? But George had her hand on his collar and gave him a stern glance. Now, Timothy, don't you dare to chase even the smallest of these rabbits. They're mine, every one of them. Ours? 
corrected Anne at once. She wanted to share in the rabbits as well as in the castle and the island. <laughs> Ours, said George. Let's go and have a look at the little dark room where we'll spend the nights. They made their way to where the castle did not seem to be quite so ruined. They came to a doorway and looked inside. Here it is, said Julian, peeping in. I shall have to use my torch. The windows are only slits here and it's quite dark. He turned on his torch and the children all gazed into the old room where they proposed to store their goods and sleep. George gave a loud exclamation. Golly! We can't use this room. The roof has fallen in since last summer. So it had. Julian's torch shone onto a heap of fallen stones scattered all over the floor. It was quite impossible to use the old room now. In any case, it might be dangerous to do so, for it looked as if more stones might fall at any moment. Blow, said Julian. What shall we do about this? We shall have to find somewhere else for a storing and sleeping place. Chapter 11 On the Old Wreck It was quite a shock to have their plans spoiled. They knew there was no other room in the ruined castle that was sufficiently whole to shelter them, and they must find some sort of shelter, for although the weather was fine at the moment, it might rain hard any day, or a storm might blow up. And storms round about Kirin are so very violent, said Julian, remembering one or two. Do you remember the storm that tossed your wreck up from the bottom of the sea, George? Oh, yes, said George and Anne together. And Anne added eagerly, Let's go and see the wreck today if we can. I'd love to see if it's still balanced on those rocks as it was last year when we explored it. Well, first we must make up our minds where we're going to sleep, said Julian firmly. I don't know if you realise it, but it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. We slept for hours on the sand, tired out with our exciting night, I suppose. We really must find some safe place and put our things there at once and make our beds. Well, but where shall we go, said Dick. There's no other place in the old castle. There's the dungeon below, said Anne, shivering. But I don't want to go there. It's so dark and mysterious. Nobody wanted to sleep down in the dungeons. Dick frowned and thought hard. What about the wreck, he said. Any chance of living there? We might go and see, said Julian. I don't somehow fancy living on a damp old rotting wreck, but if it's still high on the rocks, maybe the sun will have dried it, and it might be possible to have our bed and stores there. Let's go and see now, said George. So they made their way from the ruined castle to the old wall that ran round it. From there, they would be able to see the wreck. It had been cast up the year before and had settled firmly on some rocks. They stood on the wall and looked for the wreck, but it was not where they had expected it. It's moved, said Julian in surprise. Oh, there it is. Look, on those rocks. Nearer to the shore than it was before. Oh, poor old wreck. It's been battered about a good bit this last winter, hasn't it? It looks much more of a real wreck than it did last summer. I don't believe we shall be able to sleep there, said Dick. It's dreadfully battered. 
We might be able to store food there, though. Do you know, I believe we could get to it from those rocks that run out from the island. Yes, I believe we could, said George. We could only reach it safely by boat last summer. But when the tide is down, I think we could climb out over the line of rocks right to the wreck itself. We'll try in about an hour, said Julian, feeling excited. The tide will be off the rocks by then. Let's go and have a look at the old well, said Dick, and they made their way back to the courtyard of the castle. Here, the summer before, they had found the entrance to the well shaft that ran deep down through the rock, past the dungeons below, lower than the level of the sea, to fresh water. The children looked about for the well and came to the old wooden cover. They drew it back. There are the rungs of the old iron ladder I went down last year, said Dick, peering in. Now let's find the entrance to the dungeon. The steps down into it are somewhere near here. They found the entrance, but to their surprise, some enormous stones had been pulled across it. Who did that? said George, frowning. We didn't. Someone has been here. Trippers, I suppose, said Julian. Do you remember that we thought we saw a spire of smoke here the other day? I bet it was trippers. You know the story of Kirin Island and its old castle and dungeons, and the treasure we found in it last year was in all the newspapers. I expect one of the fishermen has been making money by taking trippers and landing them on our island. How dare they, said George, looking very fierce. I shall put up a board that says... Trespassers will be sent to prison. I won't have strangers on our island. Well, don't worry about the stones pulled across the dungeon entrance, said Julian. I don't think any of us want to go down there. Look at poor old Timmy. He's gazing at those rabbits most unhappily. Isn't he funny? Timothy was sitting down behind the children, looking most mournfully at the ring of rabbits all round the weed-grown courtyard. He looked at the rabbits, and then he looked at George. Then he looked back at the rabbits. It's no good, Timmy, said George firmly. I'm not going to change my mind about rabbits. You're not to chase them on our island. I expect he thinks you're most unfair to him, said Anne. After all, you said he might share your quarter of the island with you, and so he thinks he ought to have his share of your rabbits too. Everyone laughed. Timmy wagged his tail and looked hopefully at George. They all walked across the courtyard, and then Julian suddenly came to a stop. Look, he said in surprise, pointing to something on the ground. Look, someone has been here. This is where they built a fire. Everyone gazed at the ground. There was a heap of wood ash there, quite evidently left from a fire. Stamped into the ground was a cigarette end, too. There was absolutely no doubt about it. Someone had been on the island. If trippers come here, I'll set Timmy onto them, cried George in a fury. This is our own place. It doesn't belong to anybody else at all. Timothy, you mustn't chase rabbits here, but you can chase anybody on two legs, except us. See? Timmy wagged his tail at once. Ruff, he said, quite agreeing.
He looked all round as if he hoped to see somebody appearing that he could chase, but there was no one. I should think the tide is about off those rocks by now, said Julian. Let's go and see. If it is, we'll climb along them and see if we can get to the wreck. Anne had better not come. She might slip and fall and the sea is raging all round the rocks. Of course I'm coming, cried Anne indignantly. You're just as likely to fall as I am. Well, I'll see if it looks too dangerous, said Julian. They made their way over the castle wall, down to the line of rocks that ran out seawards towards the wreck. Big waves did wash over the rocks occasionally, but it seemed fairly safe. If you keep between me and Dick, you can come, Anne, said Julian, but you must let us help you over difficult parts and not make a fuss. We don't want you to fall in and get washed away. They began to make their way along the line of rugged, slippery rocks. The tide went down even farther as they got nearer to the wreck, and soon there was very little danger of being washed off the rocks. It was possible now to get right to the wreck across the rocks, a thing they had not been able to do the summer before. Oh, here we are, said Julian at last, and he put his hand on the side of the old wreck. She was a big ship now that they were near to her. She towered above them, thick with shellfish and seaweed, smelling musty and old. The water washed round the bottom part of her, but the top part was right out of the water, even when the tide was at its highest. She's been thrown about a bit last winter, said George, looking at her. There are a lot more new holes in her side, aren't there? And part of her old mast is gone, and some of the deck. How can we get up to her? I've got a rope, said Julian, and he undid a rope that he had wound round his waist. Half a minute, I'll make a loop and see if I can throw it round that post sticking out up there. He threw the rope two or three times, but could not get the loop round the post. George took it from him impatiently. At the first throw, she got it round the post. She was very good indeed at things like that. Better than a boy in some things, Anne thought admiringly. She was up the rope like a monkey and soon stood on the sloping, slippery deck. She almost slipped, but caught at a broken piece of deck just in time. Julian helped Anne to go up, and then the two boys followed. Ooh, it's a horrid smell, isn't it? said Anne, wrinkling up her nose. Do all wrecks smell like this? I don't think I'll go and look down in the cabins like we did last time. The smell would be worse there. So the others left Anne up on the half-rotten deck while they went to explore a bit. They went down to the smelly, seaweed-hung cabins and into the captain's old cabin, the biggest of the lot. But it was quite plain that not only could they not sleep there, but they could certainly not hope to store anything there either. The whole place was damp and rotten. Julian was half afraid his foot would go through the planking at any moment. Let's go up to the deck, he said. It's nasty down here, awfully dark too. They were just going up when they heard a shout from Anne. I say, come here quick, I've found something. They hurried up as fast as they could, slipping and sliding on the sloping deck. Anne was standing where they had left her, her eyes shining brightly. She was pointing to something on the opposite side of the ship. 
What is it? said George. What's the matter? Look, that wasn't here when we came here before, surely, said Anne, still pointing. The others looked where she pointed. They saw an open locker at the other side of the deck, and stuffed into it was a small black trunk. How extraordinary! A little black trunk, said Julian in surprise. No, that wasn't there before. And it's not been there long either. It's quite dry and new. Whoever does it belong to? And why should it be here? End of Disc 2